Welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Justin Arner from the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Eddie Chang, sports medicine surgeon at ANOVA in Washington, DC. Dr. Chang was the senior author of the paper entitled Intermedullary Unicortical Button and All Suture Anchors Provide Similar Maximum Strength for an Onlay Distal Biceps Tendon Repair, which is in press in the Arthroscopy Journal and is currently available online. His co-authors include Donald Colantonio, Anthony Lee, Laura Keeling, Sean Slavin, Tarun Vipa, and Melvin Helgeson. Welcome, Dr. Chang, and thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Justin. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. So first of all, congratulations on an excellent cadaveric study. I know it takes a lot of planning and really a huge amount of organization to pull off a study like this. So excellent work with that. Thanks so much. Yeah, it was a um, great study, and uh, I was very privileged to work with a bunch of uh, residents uh, from Georgetown and uh, Walter Reed, uh, as well as the Bob Mechanics Lab at Walter Reed, was gracious enough to help us um, perform the study. Yeah, it sure takes a whole whole big team and a lot of planning to get that going. So, fill us in on how you came up with this study idea and what you think it adds to the literature and what was lacking before you took this on. Yeah, so I um, this is a study I've been thinking about uh, for quite a bit now. When I was first started training. Um, we were mainly doing distal biceps pair on lay, uh, single incision with a um, with suture anchors, uh, and and then <clears throat> midway through residency, we uh, began to do an inlay technique with a socket as well as a extra medullary uh, cortical button and with an occasional interference screw as well, and um, it and then in 2015 there was a JBGS article that was published. Uh, biomechanics study looking at the importance of uh, preserving the radial tuberosity. And when they compared um, the technique of using a socket or a trough compared to an on-blade type technique, they found a significant decrease in the, the moment arm in, of supination. And so that got me thinking, why are we actually, you know, uh, reducing or, you know, the radial tuberosity height if it actually is important in preserving uh, supination strength. So um, over the past five to seven years, there has been increased interest in using intramedullary unicortical buttons. Um, Dr. Seamless uh, out of Germany has been looking at this quite a bit and has published this technique on it, as well as some biomechanical studies showing good re results, uh, both clinically and in the lab for this. And with the advent of all suture anchors, uh, we wanted to um, actually test this and compare it to the uh, intramedullary uh, unicortical button. I love that. It's a great summary of the literature. That's that's excellent. Can you tell us a little bit about your study design? I, I noticed that you really paid a lot of attention to bone density and tried to get younger patients. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, again, I, that's a great point. We um, When we did this study, we really wanted to mimic uh, as best as we can the population that uh, gets distal biceps rupture, which are mostly males, patients in their 40s and 50s. And we measure the bone density to make sure that um, there was adequate bone stock to perform these uh, surgeries. It took a little bit of time for us to get the specimens. And then, uh, but once we did, uh, we were then uh, kind of, we had a uh, matched pair. So one arm was getting the unicortical button and the other arm was uh, getting the uh, all suture anchors. Yeah, that's great. Appreciate that explanation. Can you tell us a little bit more? I know you mentioned it about the surgical technique utilized and your thoughts and any more information that 
you'd kind of read about as obviously knew the literature well versus onlay and inlay and single and dual incision techniques and your experience and what you've seen, you know, anything related to that, I think would be really helpful for the listeners. Yeah. So for, for both the intramedullary button and the all suture anchor technique, um, the goal was, um, was to, even though this is a cadaver lab, was to mimic a uh, single incision technique uh, where you have this forearm maximally supinated uh, and to uh, insert the anchors as well as to um, uh, as well as to secure the uh, distal biceps and then down. Uh, we did separate the anchors by 12 millimeters, and that was just based off of previous studies um, that did look at all suture anchor uh, as well as uh, dual uh, intramedullary unicortical buttons as well. Uh, that they, they, they separated by 12 millimeters, and my guess is that. Um, the radial tuberosity is about 22 to 24 millimeters in length, and that's kind of a good uh, distance uh, to where you can achieve a maximal footprint spread proximally and distally. Yeah, that's great. Um, tell us a little bit more about what you use in your practice, and you mentioned the supination strength, and do you think we're able to recreate this with some of these techniques? And, um, you know, some of these anchors are double-loaded. Do you use both sutures from the double loaded. Tell us a little bit about your approach to this personally. Yeah, so the um, currently I've been using, well, when I, let's, I guess let's go back. When I started, I was using the attention slide technique. So that was a far extra medullary uh, button. And I also drilled a, a trough, uh, whether it's a seven or eight millimeter trough as well. I did not use, I do not use an interference screw. Um, and that's how I was trained. And uh, over the last year or two, as more data came out about going back to the uh, uh, onlay technique with um, unicortical buttons, I've switched over to using uh, metallic uh, single unicortical buttons currently. Our facilities have not approved the the all suture anchors, and when that when that happens, um, I'm excited to try those out. When you asked about recreating supination strength, the, you know, the biomechanical studies um, have shown that you know, preserving that radial tuberosity height helps improve supination strength. Now, clinically, um, that will be a good study to um, look at moving forward. And I think that's something that um, at our institution we're going to look at. And then lastly, when we, the anchors, actually, the ones that we use are the 1.35 millimeter all suture anchors are actually single loaded with a um with a 1.3 millimeter tape and so um uh, and so if they was double loaded i would remove one of them as uh, that's a lot of suture to go around the tendon yeah good point i always wonder if if you're putting so much suture there maybe you're having you know better strength but if you want it to really heal along the bone then you're right i think that you have to have some tendon there uh, so tell us a little bit more about, do you, do you like the tape? I mean, I think it makes sense to maybe have a better fixation. And tell us, do you prepare the tuberosity at all, or what are your thoughts? Well, I, I, th I like the tape. I think um, anything that gives a, a broader uh, suture, uh, I, I think, gives you less chance of cutout. Um, it also, in terms of uh, tying knots, it's easier on the on the fingers, as you know. And so for me, my personal preference is to use um, a, a small tape uh, whenever possible. Uh, yeah, with regards to um, preparing the bone, you know, because you're not creating a trough, you do need to spend a little more time um, preparing the radial tuberosity to create a good environment for it to heal. So 
I generally will use a key elevator to um, uh, to prepare that area and uh, use a mallet to kind of gently tap the radio tuberosity with the elevator to uh, almost like a shingle effect as well. Um, and th th that's just, I don't know whether that's, you know, proven to help, but it's just something for me to makes me feel a little bit better when I'm doing any type of online technique. And that's similar to if I'm doing a proximal biceps tenodesis as well. Right. That's a good point. I know our mentor, Dr. Bradley, talks about that in the proximal hamstring, you know, fish scaling it. And I think that's a good, good, good trick. Uh, so getting back to more to your study, can you give us a summary of your results? And is it what you expected? And uh, just give us your thoughts about the results. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, probably the main takeaway that there was no uh, significant difference with maximum load to failure between the unicortical uh, intramedullary button as well as the all-suture anchor uh, uh, repairs. Uh, and when you actually look at uh, maximum displacement after um, uh, cyclic loading, the all-suture group um, performed better. Uh, and that means that there was less uh, displacement compared to the unicortical button. And I think that's very important when we're talking about onlay technique as, um, the, uh, as the more displacement uh, likely leads to less potential for the uh, tendon to heal back to the bone. Yeah, I thought that was one of the best points you made in the article, you know, talking about some of that displacements can occur with cyclic, you know, cyclic load and, you know, whip stitching and ACL and things like that. You're going to have some creep, which maybe is not as apparent whenever you're, you know, putting it in that bone tunnel. But, you know, as we all know, there's some risk, uh, you know, being eccentric on the bone tunnel. Um, so I think that's a great point that you made in your article. Certainly, I think it's useful for the, the people to uh, read about that. So tell us a little bit about um, post-operatively how you deal with these distal biceps. And do you think, you know, one thing you mentioned since maybe there's some risk of displacement, and you mentioned in your article, do you think we should go slower if we're doing an online technique or Tell us how you treat these people post-op. Yeah, I've um, traditionally been more conservative on my rehab protocols, uh, with, uh, and I will put my patients in a splint for about a week before transitioning them into a, uh, a hinged uh, elbow brace. And um, over a period of six to eight weeks, they'll gradually regain full extension. Um, there's been a few articles as well as uh, multiple talks given about um, just placing the patient into the sling and begin, you know, active range of motion of the elbow. I just haven't been brave enough uh, yet to do that. And if we're going to, um, you know, back to onlay technique, I think that's something we probably need to be a little bit more careful of is to maybe not allow them to uh, range their elbow early uh, or too early uh, in the post-operative period. So, I'll probably continue to splint them post-operatively, and if um, there is data moving forward saying that you, know, you can begin early active range of motion of of the elbow following onlay technique, uh, I'll definitely consider switching. Yeah, that's a good point. One one thing that a few different people in, that I've worked with, um, some people lock the elbow brace at say you know 90 degrees or whatever, and some folks just limit the extension but allow them to flex it. Do you have a preference or thought about that with your brace afterwards? Do you keep them locked in a certain degree and just come out for therapy or do you leave them, you know, say 30 degrees shy of full extension and let them flex uh, unlocked in the brace? Oh, that's a great point. I actually um, have them unlocked for full flexion and then I'll, I'll have an extension block at about 45 degrees at the first week postoperatively. 
And I'll leave that for about the first week or so. And then after that, unlock about 15 degrees every um, week uh, until they get full extension by week six or so. And then after yeah. that, they can get rid of the brace. That makes sense. And what are your thoughts about strengthening afterwards? You know, certainly with in orthopedics and there's some data with the distal biceps, you know, doing some obviously very light strengthening a little earlier, you know, maybe lets this thing heal. You know, some people talk about, you know, if you make it through the first six weeks, that's the riskier part. I've I've still been, like you mentioned, a little bit gun shy with strengthening, especially in this population. These a lot of these are, you know, younger men that are big weightlifters. When do you let them start doing some strengthening? Um, I usually let them start light strengthening, uh, concentric only, um, about six weeks post-operatively under the guise of physical therapy. Um, and these patients, you're right, they're generally weightlifters or work in kind of a, a more of a laborous type uh, job. And so I worry that if we give them an inch, they'll go a mile and potentially you know, um, cause, a, cause a re-rupture or, an inj- uh, or re-injury early on. And so I try to be a little bit more conservative with these patients and definitely tell them not to do any type of eccentric contraction um, uh, uh, early on. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, certainly there's, like you mentioned, more aggressive and less aggressive means to this. But I think it's interesting to talk about a lot of very thoughtful people who've done some good studies about post-op, like you mentioned. Uh, you know, someone at UPMC here that probably a lot of listeners are familiar with is Mark Barrett's, uh, Barrett's uh, hand surgeon that he talks a little bit about, you know, non-dominant folks with a distal bicep rupture not needing repair, or, you know, obviously if people are, are old and, or I'm sorry, less active, uh, you know, maybe they don't need, need need to all have biceps repairs distally. Tell us your approach. Are you fixing pretty much all non-dominant uh, distal biceps, at least in younger and active people? Yeah, and, um, and Dr. Barrett's is- did publish a good article in JBJS uh, back in 2009 showing, you know, looking at the uh, non-operative treatment of distal biceps ruptures and showing that they can have an acceptable outcome, uh, although they need to be counseled on, you know, reduced strength, especially in supination. Uh, So uh, my approach to distal biceps ruptures really um, is kind of patient, you know, you look at each patient individually. And so, if they're young and active, um, they're likely less, uh, or sorry, they're less likely going to tolerate, you know, um, a 30% loss in supination strength. Uh, or if they're a laborer, uh, same idea. If they're a carpenter, they're not going to want to lose that strength, uh, especially if they're handling the screwdriver, et cetera. And so for those patients, I'll, um, I'll be a little bit more aggressive. And honestly, the patients are going to be the ones asking to have that repair. Now, if it's the patient is a more sedentary individual in their you know, later 50s, 60s, or 70s, non-dominant arm, not really that active, you 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 just you just go over the you know the you know, the data that Dr. Barrett's published and kind of let them come up with a you know informed decision uh, to get and and oftentimes. Um, they'll probably end up having surgery, but I've treated a few successfully without. And, you know, they, you know, on exam, you'll notice some modest supination loss uh, in terms of strength, but otherwise they're doing okay. Yeah, it's a great, great point. I love your uh, knowledge of literature. That's really helpful, I think, for all of us to to learn. So I think uh, it's about time for us to wrap up. Do you have any final thoughts about this? Again, I've, congratulations on a really uh, successful and difficult study to put together, especially with multiple institutions. So 
uh, you know, you've, you've done a lot of great studies and um, appreciate your time tonight. Oh, no. Yeah. And, and uh, thanks again for having me. Yeah, this was, again, a, a joint effort um, with multiple institutions. And I want to thank all my co-authors again for all their hard work on this. I think that um, this is this study really um, goes back to one of my mentors, Dr. Fu's um, idea of recreating and preserving the natural anatomy. Um, and he talks about that quite a bit in ACL reconstruction uh, in terms of, you know, tunnel placement and putting it back where it belongs. And and when I think about us, you know, creating sockets or troughs on the, you know, radial tuberosity and kind of uh, lowering or reducing that moment arm, I, I'm, I, I just wonder, are we actually doing the right thing for this patient? And if if onlay techniques previously in the past with suture anchors and and unicortical buttons work as well, I think the next generation of all suture anchors, which have the um, have the advantages of a um, button, um, but also have the advantages of it not having any metallic interference for future imaging studies. Uh, you know, hopefully this potentially this could be the future, although we need to do more clinical studies uh, and comparing this directly with you know the standard of care. Yeah, for sure. I think it's certainly nice not to have a metallic implant and worry about flipping a button and, and all those things. So appreciate your time and thanks. Thanks again. Dr. Chang's paper entitled Intermedullary Unicortical Button in All Suture Anchors Provides Similar Maximum Strength for Onlay Distal Biceps Tendon Repair is in press in the Arthroscopy Journal and is currently available online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Thanks so much for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Mm-hmm.